0: The American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. But then there's these this other set of three things that have to be accomplished. Remember, this is an interaction between Israel, Jerusalem. That's is what he's talking about. He's not talking about you and I here. Daniel, he's talking about Israel. All right. And then he says this. There's basically the establishment of righteousness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To bring, uh, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the holy place. Let's break those down a little bit. Okay, to bring in everlasting righteousness. The word bring in, again, we translate it to bring in, and I'm sorry for being a little bit technical on a Sunday, but to cause to come to be Sort of like when God said, Let there be light. He was the cause. He caused it to come into existence. So it's not bring in, let me bring you into the house. This is to cause you. Your cause of that. And the word order is different in Hebrew. So instead of saying to bring in everlasting righteousness, here's the really if I want to take it straight: to bring in righteousness, eternity. Huh? Because the word here, what we see everlasting, appears as an adjective to us. How many remember adjectives? Okay, it's describing. But it's not, it's a noun. This is a noun here. So that's why I say instead of everlasting, I want to say eternity. How about everlastingness? Then I could turn it into a noun. Alright? Uh, perpetuity? That could be a noun. You guys are gonna look at me, but do you understand the difference between an adjective and a noun? I hope. Okay? So you could say it like this, to bring in righteousness in eternity, to bring in righteousness in perpetuity, or the way this word is translated other places, to bring in righteousness forever. Okay, forever can be a noun. So it's going to cause righteousness to be an eternal, forever, perpetual thing. Could that happen? Yes, in a spiritual sense. Christ's righteousness has been given to me. That's eternal. You will never change that. Where I begin to struggle is with the next two to seal up vision and prophecy. I know that didn't happen at the cross. How do I know? Because there's a book called Revelation. It's a prophecy, is it not? It's after the cross. You have a prophecy given to Paul where it says that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be bound over and held, right? Be killed. That was the prophecy. Well, if, if God put an end to prophecy, there is no book of Revelation if he did it at the cross. That's the issue here. Not at the end of Revelation. I'm talking about the end at the cross. So at this point, I start saying, oh, I can see how some of this can be spiritualized and put to the cross. Yeah, but here I sort of hit a wall. Because I believe in the book of Revelation is there. I believe those prophecies about uh, Paul that was given, for example. I, I believe those are, are, were there. And then this last one, to anoint the most holy place. That is, anoint, sanctify, into the holy place would be the holy of holies in the temple. Listen to me carefully again. This prophecy, the angel tells Daniel, is about the Jews and Jerusalem where the temple and the holy place would be. There's no temple back there at this point, at this time, it's been destroyed. I see those two things as going, man, I really got to do some dancing and some twisting and working to make it say that that happened at the cross. Well, Christ fulfilled all things, all the old law. Christ didn't do everything that's written in the book of Revelation at the cross. So these, all six of these things, Or the end take place, happen, if you will, by the time these 70 weeks are up. If these haven't taken place, what's that tell me? Tells me that 70 weeks can't be up. Something about them can't be if that's true. If these things right here are what the prophecy and vision, that's what revelation is. It's a prophecy and vision. It happened after the cross, so this has to be talking about a period. At maximum, would have to end after Revelation. Problem is, we have nowhere in here where Christ or anyone else, well, Christ in particular, went into the Holy Holy's and anointed. He burst it wide open, but didn't anoint it in that sense. And we could sort of spiritualize that, but there's no reason from the text. If I don't have a preconceived idea, there's no reason for me to spiritualize those. Because this is talking about Jews and Jerusalem. Real Jews, real Jerusalem. And you, I know there are people sitting here today, people here listening, who do not agree with me. That's fine. And and so, again, my I'm trying to do this from study, not preconceived ideas. So, this first seven sevens, which is 49, really covers up the time to really, um, it took, to where they actually rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. We can go 49 years from the thing they talk about, this proclamation for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Okay, that's when all this starts. Those 49 years we can look forward to because Cyrus makes the decree, it gets carried out, part of it by Ezra, part of it by Nehemiah. We can read it in the Bible, okay? And it, they actually say years in the this month of the seventh year of this guy, in the second year of this guy. Alright? So the first seven sevens are fulfilled in the time of Scripture. Old Testament Scripture. So this is why we can pretty well wait a minute. If it's not years, if it means something else, we just got lucky, I guess on that first seven sevens. So as we move on, we go to these seven sevens. And 62 sevens, which is how many sevens? 62 and seven. 69. Yeah, you guys are really responsive this morning. Okay, that's 69. All right. From that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, let me make this clear. It doesn't say to rebuild the temple. That's a different decree. This is a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. At the end of these 62 and 7, that's 69, the Messiah will appear. The end of which, end of those 69, he will be cut off. It's an idiom for being killed, dead, all right? According to Ezra 7, Artaxerxes II, issued this decree in the winter of 448 to 447 B.C., now I'm going to tell you, all kinds of scholars out there have dates ranging in here to be generally the same. But I didn't want to come to the dates and say, "Here's what I want. I want the Messiah cut off at year 33." That so I'm going to go backwards and make this mean something. And, okay, so so I spent some time reading again PhD theses and stuff like this, thesis and stuff like that, uh, looking at when these guys reigned, when these things happened, and that's. The best date I can come up with. Looking at exterior sources, the difference between the Jewish calendar, the Jewish civil calendar, the Jewish religious calendar, the Babylonian calendar, and our calendar. It's too much work. You don't want to do it. Trust me. Okay? I'm sorry for moving around on you, Scott. Keep me in the frame here. So that I can tell this brings us to 27 to 28 A.D., Now, we all talk about 33 A.D. being when Christ was crucified, all right? You can't peg it down exactly like that, because it does depend on these dates somewhat, and what history also tells us about the time of Christ. So somewhere between 27 and 33 is where Christ died. There are some scholars who try to peg this down to the exact day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, we call Palm Sunday, and the people declare him the king. The Messiah, all right? I don't feel I can do that confidently for you. I would like to be able to do that. So, yeah, it's right there to the exact day. The problem is I don't know what day he actually did that on. I can try to work it out. And there's people who want to say that, but I wasn't going to bring it before you today without saying it. I just know this. At that point, the Messiah presents himself. If my days and times, if I've got the right date, 27, 28 is when that happens. Okay? He'll be cut off at the end of that period of time. Well, right after, if you recall, he does go into Jerusalem that same, after that event, a week later, he's dead. Then you have this final seven, because there's 70 of them, correct? I have 67 and 62, that's 69, that leaves one more. The question is, where is that one more? Can we peg something as happening seven years after Christ's death? Nope. There's not a predict. I mean, the temple wasn't destroyed then, because that's a big deal, the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. I suggest that since this deals with Israel, in particular the remnant, these things have to take place between God and Israel for these 70 can be complete. Let me suggest to you that there's a period there that Jerusalem isn't dealing with Israel, and I'll give it to you from Scripture Luke 21 23 through 24. Just is Jesus speaking. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to his people. If we look at the context, there's some of those hard times in what we've just read. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When Jesus said that, Who was running Jerusalem? Not really. Israel was. They were allowed to keep the... There was a temple. Yeah, you had Rome in there, but Israel still lived there. This says these people will be dispersed and Gentiles will run it. Okay. Acts chapter 3, 19 through 21. Speaking to the Jews. Okay, Peter there. Repent, therefore, Turn back. That your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you. Wait a minute. I thought he already sent him by the time we're in Acts. Is the first advent, the birth, life of Jesus Christ, happened already by Acts chapter 3? Yes. Okay? Now he says that, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Hmm. And there's some other passages that talk about this idea that the Gentiles, there's this period of time, mm, Jerusalem in particular, is not controlled by the Hebrews, the Jews. That Remember, if this is about Jews and Jerusalem, and I can get up to 69 weeks, and then I go another, like seven years later, and I look at history, and I'm going, um, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening anywhere in history, unless I take all this and spiritualize it. But then I have a problem with no prophecy and no visions from that point. Even if I take the book of Revelation being written in 90 if I go from 27 to 33, somewhere in there, seven years later, the book of Revelation is still not finished. So seven years later, if I put an end to visions and... Throw uh, Revelation out of your Bible. I'm not willing to do that. And then you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I'll just read to you from Romans 11, where Paul distinguishes between true Israel, the remnant, the national Israel... And the Gentiles who believe are grafted into that same branch as the remnant of Israel. Least you, Gentiles, be wise in your own conceits, because they're seeing what the Jews rejected the Messiah at the time. The Gentiles weren't. And he explains this difference, that there will be Jews that are grafted back in. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until... The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Still, you got that kind of idea there. Okay? I believe that this final sevens is dealing with the remnant of Jews that will come to Christ by faith. It's not about Gentiles. It's not about America. All right? I want you to see a pattern here and I will draw an application for you. Israel rejected God as the God, right? That's why they're in Babylonian captivity. They rejected God's idea of the Sabbath on the land, a whole bunch of other things in idol worship. So God put them off into captivity. But he also told you, I'm not going to leave you there. In 70 years, I'm going to restore Jerusalem and the temple. That's the book of Nehemiah and the book of Esther where that takes place. He brought them back. He did not abandon them. Even though I can't tell you that all the people living in Babylon, the Jewish people, were now serving God. That they weren't worshipping any of the Babylonian idols. That they, no, there was probably a remnant that still believed. Now let's come to the New Testament. Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the King. But God does not give up on them. Read Zechariah chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 and read Revelation. You'll see connection there. God says, "Yes, Israel has been hardened for a time. Yes, they have rejected me. But I don't leave them there. When this ever this time of gentiles, whenever it is in, I draw them back. At least the remnant back, those who truly believe in him by faith. He draws them back." Here's the real lesson on it. God does not give up on those who are truly his. All this really in the end is about the remnant. There's no reason to draw the wicked back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple back in, in Ezra, just so the wicked can come. Those that are truly his, like Daniel, like Nehemiah, like Ezra, those he's doing this for, we are included in that same group. We are those who believe by faith. In 2 Timothy 2 and 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, well, you know, when you, if you keep it right and perfect all the time, I'm in it with you. No, no. When you're faithless, I'm still faithful. Then it says, for he, God, cannot Deny himself. God is faithful. He can't do otherwise. It's in his very nature. So he will always pursue those who are his and draw them back. You heard me read, speak this from the kids, but let me give it to you from John chapter 6, verse 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me, I will, will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me, will never be thirsty. I said to you that you have indeed seen me and yet you do not believe that generation of Jews out there. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. Did you catch that? That's a decree. That's the decreative will of God. Will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Well, that Make sense? For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I've come, Jesus, I've come to do the will of God who sent me. Oh, you don't know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. Okay. That everything that he has given me. I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up in the last day. So if you thought everything meant things, he he tells you, you know, I'm talking people. Of all the people that God has given me, including that remnant of Israel that will believe, I won't lose a one of them. And then let's take that with the parable that God gives of the sheep. It doesn't say he had 99 sheep and one goat. The sheep that left was a sheep when it left, and it was sheep when it was out there. But he is faithful. When you're unfaithful, he's, he'll go get you. Try to run from God. It's going to be a mighty painful experience. Because sometimes a shepherd would find that sheep that keeps running away and break their leg. Put the sheep on the shoulder, take him back to the fold and says, now I dare you to run. I'm, that's my paraphrase. God will break you to keep you. It is the will of the Father that he loses none. He'll send you into captivity if he has to but he ain't gave up on you. I know, that's bad English. I know he'll harden Israel for a time, but there's those that are my sheep. Matter of fact, Jesus says that there are sheep that are not of this fold. Now he's talking about Gentile sheep that aren't Jewish. John chapter 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. How long is eternal? Just checking. If, something, if you have something and it goes away, is it eternal? Okay, just, just being clear. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. They may go off into captivity. So they learn something, but they're still my people. Particularly the remnant. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. He's greater than Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius. Pick your king in these natural stories. But it also represents to us, there's nothing exists in this world that's greater than God. When God says you're his, good luck, nobody's taking you. Unless you're greater than God, then you could take you, right? But you're not. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Also, look at 1 Peter 5 and Jude chapter 1. God doesn't give up on us when we have given up on us. When you've messed up so much, you go, Well, what's the point of even trying? I quit. God doesn't quit. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Anybody remember that hymn besides me? If you're saying that you can completely give up if you're one of God's sheep and say, no, I'm going to stop being a sheep. I can turn into a goat, a wolf, a donkey, whatever other animal you want to pick. You know what that would mean? God is not faithful. Sorry. Sorry. His sheep know him; he knows them; they hear his voice; they will follow, and I'll lose none. I think too many give up if you're truly a sheep, because you can pretend to be a sheep. How many remember that cartoon with Wiley e. Coyote, right? And the sheep dog had the hair in front of his eyes. You remember that? Yeah, and the wolf would get a sheepskin and put it over himself and try to sneak into the herd. He could only pretend so long. And even though that dog couldn't see through him, he figured it out. Now, you and I, sometimes we can't tell the difference between sheep, goat, and wolves. Or foxes. All right? something We can't. But God knows his. He knows when he looks out who are his sheep. He knows when it's one of his sheep that wanders off. He knows it's one of his sheep if a wolf drags him. But they're still his sheep because he'll lose none. Don't give up because you falter, you fail, you wander off, you make mistakes. Trust me. If you're one of his sheep, he's going to come get you. But it's just a whole lot easier instead of having your leg broke, sent into captivity, all right, in in Israel as a whole. It is easier to stay in his pen, his fold. But my encouragement to you today, what I see from this Yes, Israel did, but I promised I'll bring you back. He didn't say, I promised to bring you back, if you do it right. No, 70 years, Daniel has confessed Israel's sin, and he talks all about it. But God, you said 70. That's what it matters. It's on his faithfulness that you're going to restore. It's on his faithfulness that these wicked kings pay for the rebuilding of the temple and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Could you imagine that now? Imagine Nancy Pelosi saying, "We'll pay for, it, and we will, and I'll only use that, pick it." How about the, just the government saying they would help, period, in any true Christian endeavor? Now I know Thomas Jefferson paid for Christian missionaries, but that ain't today. God is faithful. He doesn't let one sheep wander off and stay there, because he's the great shepherd. Let's stand. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green past. You guys, come on, know that one, don't you? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff. Oh, come on, what was the shepherd rod and staff for? Whack! Pull him back. His rod and his staff, His discipline. Comforts me, comforts me to know that God's not gonna let me wander off and stay there. Oh, I, I gotta quit preaching. Time's up. Father, I thank you that you are ever faithful. Nothing will ever change your faithfulness. My stubbornness, my stupidity will never change your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that I am one of your sheep, not because of me, but because you've made me one. God, I thank you. I thank you, oh God. I rejoice that you are faithful. It makes me want to not leave the fold. God, I just pray for those who are listening now to help them recognize that maybe what they're going through right now is the shepherd chasing them, disciplining them, correcting them to bring them back. That maybe their heart would be like Daniel's and pray that prayer. Confess their sin, give glory to your name, and surrender to you, the great shepherd, again. All, O God, through it, by it, you are glorified, never the sheep. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org. Forward slash media, and there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy, just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32 Nampa. Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.